You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Now, let me say this. It's not every Sunday that I start the sermon by giving you the sermon title right off the bat, but here it is for today. Imitate your dad. Now, you might be thinking, okay, doesn't this guy know that Father's Day is in June? Yes, I do. This has nothing to do with that. We are tracking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we are going to open up chapter 5, and here's how Paul starts that. He said, following God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But, here we go. You having a good day? Okay, we're going to fix that. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, let me stop there a second. So, no immoral, impure, or greedy person has a chance in the kingdom. Man, what's Paul saying? That we got to be perfect? I mean, that pretty much describes all of us, right? Immoral, impure, greedy at some time or another. So what's Paul getting at? What he's describing are those who want immorality, impurity, and greed in their life more than they want God in their life. He goes on. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness. Remember, that was your old way of life. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Paul offers a list of advice here, a list of do's and don'ts. Every one of these is worth focusing on But we'd be here for hours, and quite frankly, I don't want to miss lunch. So what we're going to do, prioritizing our morning, is by focusing on the last half of verse 18 through 21. 
So here's how Paul continues. So that don't be filled with wine. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, the language here is really amazing. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, is a person, first of all, not an impersonal force. Jesus promised that he would send us the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. When he referred to the Holy Spirit, he referred to him as he, not not it. So the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is God. As he empowered the life of Jesus, he empowers the life of Jesus' people. As he allowed, empowered, and and enabled Jesus' obedience, so he does ours. Now, some of you may have been told this, may have imagined this, that if you pray loud, we all get together, somebody brings a tambourine, and we make enough noise, the Holy Spirit might just wake up. That if you would yell and pray and praise and speak in tongues and dance around, he'll show up. Truth is, he's already here. He's already been poured out. He's already with God's people. He's already in God's people. And it's not that we have to wake him up. It's that we need to wake ourselves up to his presence. When Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit, the wording in Greek is literally keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not just a one-time thing. Keep on being filled. Think of the imagery of sailing. Let's say that the wind is blowing and there's a sailboat out on the lake. Well, that boat doesn't have any energy or movement or momentum on its own. It must rely on the sail. And once that sail is up and the sail is filled, then that boat is propelled with great force and power. You see, where we are walking in sin and disobedience and foolishness and rebellion. Look, the Holy Spirit is still blowing. John chapter 3, Jesus describes the Holy Spirit like the wind. So the Holy Spirit is still blowing. The reason we're not moving is because our sail is down. We don't want to hear what he has to say. We don't want to do what he tells us to do. We don't want to go where he's pushing us. Do you see that? So being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not like you're just some great sail and he's not showing up. He's already here. And if you're not moving, it's because your sail is down. So Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep on being filled. What he says about that is to repent of your sin, repent of your foolishness, repent of your rebellion, repent of your hard heart and your stiff neck because the Holy Spirit wants to fill you. He wants to change you. He wants to inspire you, teach you. He wants to move in you and work through you. He's already here. And he's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. So it's not that the Holy Spirit is unwilling. Oftentimes it's that we are. That's the issue. Paul then goes on to say how we should be in passionate worship of God. That we should bring passionate worship to God. He says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. You know what he's saying? 
that those who are filled with the Spirit, they sing. That's why it seems that charismatic Pentecostal churches outsing Reformed Presbyterian churches. They just do. But if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you want to sing. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, has for eternity past been in union and communion with the Father and the Son. And what that means is that they have been mutually glorifying and edifying one another forever in worshipful praise. And when the Holy Spirit indwells God's people, He inspires us to praise the Father and praise the Son. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit and not sing. Now look, I I get it. Right now we're in a mode that we're not doing a whole lot of that publicly. But sing behind the mask. (laughs) Sing in your heart. Paul says sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Make a joyful noise, right? He says do that. Some of you say, well, what will people think? That's the wrong question. We worship God. We should be wondering what he's thinking if we're not singing. I'll tell you this. People cheer for their gods in other churches. Maybe they look more like stadiums. Ever been to a concert or a sporting event and and you're just singing along because everybody's doing it. You know the words. It certainly should be happening among God's people. They are singing for their team. They're singing for their band. We may as well sing for the God who conquers sin and death. And then Paul tells us to give thanks. Always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is about an attitude of gratitude where you're always wondering, what can I be thankful for today? Now, this isn't just some naive surface stuff. This is more along the lines of God is good. And I need to be seeking, searching out the goodness of God and then giving thanks for those times where I realize his grace is with me every day. And lastly, in our section for today, Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This means as you're a part of the church family, if someone who loves Jesus speaks into your life, you're at least willing to hear them. You may not agree with them immediately, but you're at least willing to hear them out. And if they're right, you're willing to repent to apologize, to learn, to make a course correction because at the end of the day, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be submissive to the truth. Now, here's the question. How are we going to do that? What the Apostle Paul began with in chapter 5 was a list of six do nots and ten do's. How many of you just kind of checked out because that was like a long list? Okay, we'll try reading the Old Testament. First five books of the Bible, there's over 600 (laughs) do-nots and do's. I mean, like right now, who wants to go home and read Genesis to Revelation and start making two lists? One of the do this and do not do this. I think you'd die before you finish the list. There's just a lot Usually this is where the pastor gets moralistic, you know, don't do this, do this. And you can see that anyway, even if you're not a Christian. 
I mean, as a matter of fact, you can be an atheist and come up with a list of do and do nots. So the question is how? How are we not going to do the bad things and do the good things? The answer, by remembering we've been adopted by God the Father. You know how you're going to do what's right and not do what's wrong? Not by focusing on yourself, but by getting to know your dad. Let me remind you again of our first verse. Paul says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. This sounds good, doesn't it? Dearly loved children. As Christians, we are dearly loved children of God. And Paul alludes to it again when we read in verse 20 that God is our father and that means that's our identity. So if you're a Christian, God is your father and you are a beloved child of God. He already told us in chapter one that we've been adopted. And then he's gonna repeat it here in chapter five, twice. So your relationship with God is a relationship with God as your father. And let me tell you why Paul repeats this, because this was so revolutionary in his day. In Paul's day, as part of the Roman Empire, kids born to particularly poor families were oftentimes discarded. The infant mortality rate was very high. 40% didn't make it to their fifth birthday. Of those who did, if it was a girl... Oftentimes, they would just throw her out. They would abandon her in the wilderness or literally put her on the trash heap. If it was a boy who had a disability, same thing, abandoned and left for dead. What would happen then is that people would come by and they would pick up those girls. Imagine what they would do with those girls. Prostitution, slavery, horrific abuse. The boys, they turned into slaves or made them part of the gladiator games so they could be murdered for public entertainment. It's why when the Lord Jesus shows up and he welcomes children around him and the disciples, some of them are even saying, no, 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 this isn't for kids. Jesus says, no, I love kids. I welcome kids. And then it's like he would say, in fact, you know, for all of you, adults and children alike, God is your father. You're all his kids. Jesus changed the way the world sees children. Jesus changed the way the world sees God. Jesus shows us the father heart of God and revealed to us that we've been adopted. And so what started happening with all these abandoned, discarded, abused kids, as Christianity started to grow the Christians would start adopting them. They'd go and find these kids and take them home. Why? Jesus Christ was adopted. I mean, think about it. Jesus was adopted. God came as Jesus Christ, but he didn't have an earthly father, so there was an earthly father who adopted him, a guy named Joseph. And so as Jesus was adopted, now through Jesus, we are adopted. God's heart is a father's heart. It's an adoptive heart. And I want you to see salvation as adoption. 
So in adoption, who makes the decision? The kid or the parents? Who makes the decision? The parent. It's, it, it's a legal transaction. A kid just can't go to the courthouse, ask for the paperwork, fill it out, sign it, and choose a family of their own to be adopted by. The adoption is at the parent's discretion. The parent, the father, if you will, decides who he will adopt. So it is with us. God's a father, and he adopts his kids. If you're a Christian, he has picked you. He has picked you to be a son or a daughter. He has adopted you into his family. You now bear the family name Christian. You now receive all the inheritance rights of the Father. And that includes the totality of the kingdom. So if you're not a Christian, does that mean that God has given up on you? No. It means you haven't opened your heart to him. You can do that now. You can simply say, God, I'm lost. I need you. I know I'm a sinner. You want to welcome me into your family. Lord, that sounds good to me. I want to do that. The next question is, why does God do this? The answer, that's just what he's like. He's this good, this grand, this glorious, this great. And I can't stress this enough. I've already hit it uh, today. I've hit it other times in Ephesians. The theme that God is our father. As Christians, we are adopted into his family. This is so important because sometimes in our society, the father wound is deep. For the first time in our nation's history, 40% of kids will go to bed tonight without a father. For the first time in our nation's history, the majority of children born to those women 30 and younger are born out of wedlock. That means that the majority of children will grow up without a father. The majority of children have no father and many who do have a bad dad, a violent dad, an unloving dad, an uninvolved dad. And the result is today, especially for those in their teens and, and 20s, they're lost. And I think as, as much as anything, the, the result of, of all of this is what we see in our culture today, the brokenness. Those in their teens and 20s are, are lost. They don't know where they've come from. They don't know why they're here, where they're going, what they're supposed to do. So we read this list of do's and don'ts from our Heavenly Father, all of which is supposed to be worked out in the form of a community within a family. And one of the most discouraging things is that the average person views God like their earthly father treated them. Today, the prevailing view of God among teenagers and 20-somethings is that God is far away, that he's not really involved in our life. He doesn't know me. He's not there to help me. He hopes I do my best, and every now and then, he may send a check. The view of God in the Bible is absolutely different than the view of God in culture. In the Bible, God is a father. 
I want you to know that, believe that, trust that. For some of you, that's going to take a while to penetrate because your heart's not been open to it. You may even say, I, I struggle to believe that God is my father. Well, he is. And once you understand that that's your identity, it changes your activity. So Paul summarizes it this way. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. That's his thesis statement. And little kids who have a dad who absolutely adores them want to be like their dad, right? Little boys who have a dad who absolutely loves them want to grow up to be like their dad. And little girls who have a dad who absolutely adores them wants to grow up and marry someone like their dad. That's just what children do. Children who have a father who loves them, they want to be like him. So some of you come to the Bible and you're not convinced that God is a good, loving, committed father. So when you don't feel like he's answering you when you, or when you feel like he's saying no you want to argue debate disagree disobey but if you know that your heavenly father loves you and that he's good and truthful and he's got your best interest at heart if that dad comes along and says please don't do this you say okay i don't fully understand dad but I'm going to trust you on this one. And as I walk in that trust, eventually it will become sight and I'll see why you're telling me this. As dearly loved children of God, imitate your dad. Let's pray. Father, right now, just want to pause and say thank you. Thank you for being our dad. So good. A perfect dad. And help us to know you that way. To get to know you. To focus on who our dad is. That you would come. In the person of Jesus Christ. To show how completely you love us and want a relationship with us. Die in our place. So that the death that we truly deserve went to him. The life that we don't deserve came to us. And you bore the weight of all of that for us, Lord. In the midst of sin, in the midst of rebellion, in the midst of a, of a broken world and our broken lives, in the midst of it, God, you still come and you call on us and you are sending your Holy Spirit. He is at, at work. He is moving in our lives. He is blowing. Help us to put ourselves up, to pay attention to you, where you're taking us, how we can make a difference to those around us. Lord, that's part of what it means to be a, a fellow believer is to, to look after our family, our family of faith, 
So who is it in our circle of family, friends, acquaintances, coworkers, neighbors that are hurting? Maybe a word or a gesture from us can make a difference. Who is it around us that doesn't yet know you and yet just a simple start of a relationship might be the start of an opportunity to share who you are for us? And so we come, Lord, knowing that we don't merit anything on our own. It's all due to your goodness and your grace. And we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.